This is Digital Marketing Fastlane. This podcast will show you how to build, launch, grow, and scale a widely successful online business. Listen to real conversations with proven practical strategies and success stories. You're going to learn how to generate more traffic, more sales, more profit, and customer lifetime value for your online store. Coming to you from the online marketing experts at Boy Media, here's your host, Kevin Urrutia. Okay, hey everybody. Uh, my name is Kevin. I'm here with Heather Saffer from Dog Gourmet. Hey, how are you doing, Heather? I'm good. How are you, Kevin? Good, good. Uh, yeah, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe your business? Yeah, so my business is Dollop Gourmet. I started it a few years ago. Um, I actually, before that, I owned a bakery in upstate New York where I'm from, and I had the bakery for a few years. And then I, after winning Cupcake Wars on Food Network, I decided I wanted to get out of the brick and mortar business and create a product line that could be sold everywhere instead of just in the city I was in. And so I worked to create the dollop gourmet line of frosting and i wanted it to be healthier but still taste good so made sure it was lower sugar vegan gluten-free soy free um but still tasted like a delicious frosting that you would think of so you had a successful i guess bakery what was that feeling like when you kind of decided hey i want to make like a product that i could sort of sell anywhere like, what were you thinking? Like, you know, why did you make that transition? So I had had the bakery for a few years and it was, it was a lot of fun. We did, it was a create your own style bakery. So it was different than anything else. People would walk in and we would uh, make cupcakes on the spot. So they'd come in, there was no display case and they would pick out the cake flavor, filling, frosting and topping that they wanted. And we would stand there and make it for them. Kind of like the cold stone, but, mm. but cupcakes. And we did a lot of corporate events and weddings and showers and parties and, and all kinds of stuff. And it was a lot of fun. But then, um, especially after winning Cupcake Wars and having the bakery for a few years, I'm really introverted. And so just being surrounded by people all the time, whether it was employees or customers. And after winning Cupcake Wars, customers, when they came in, they didn't just want to get the cupcakes. They also wanted to talk to me. So I was talking to people a lot more than was comfortable for me. And it was just kind of bringing me down. And I decided that having a brick and mortar just wasn't for me anymore. And that I wanted to create a product line so that I didn't have to be in one place all the time. So I would have more freedom to travel and move about. I, I, I knew that I wanted to move. Um, and I just, I wanted to try something different. Mm-hmm. How long did you run your, your bakery for? I had the bakery for about three years, a little over three years. And then when you went into Cupcake Wars, and was that sort of like when the bakery kind of really took off and you won? Or was it like sort of, how did you kind of market that before Cupcake Wars? Um, right. That's a good question. It was doing well before Cupcake Wars. I did a lot of um, trying to get free PR, especially locally with my local newspapers and local TV stations and doing a lot of collaborations with uh, other restaurants. So we'd sell the cupcakes as a dessert in popular restaurants in town and 
Um, we did one year for Valentine's Day, we, we collaborated with a florist and we made cupcake bouquets. Um, so they mm -hmm. were selling those to their customers. So we did a lot of that stuff, a lot of local collaborations and a lot of uh, stuff to get free PR. And so the bakery was doing well before Cupcake Wars, but I mean, it was a major change after Cupcake Wars. After it aired, there was a line literally around the block. And it was, it was February in upstate New York. So it was the dead of winter. It was freezing cold and people were waiting in line. And th that went on for, for months, people waiting in line around the block. And we, um, it was a pretty small bakery. The kitchen was really small. And so we kept running out and uh, it was, it was definitely, you know, as we, as well as we were doing beforehand, it, it didn't compare to Mm -hmm. how we did after Cupcake Wars. It was a huge change. And I, I want to go back to like Cupcake Wars. How, what did it feel like when you're on stage and your name got announced that you won? What, what, how did that feel, feel? It was an awesome feeling. Like it, it really, it, it was an incredible feeling. I still remember the feeling when I was standing there. I was I was shaking. I was so nervous. I remember I could see the producer in the background and I felt like I was going to pass out and I was mouthing to him like, I'm not going to make it. I'm not. And he's like, you're fine. You're fine. I'm like, no, I'm not going to make it. I thought I was going to pass out. Um, and then when he announced my name, it was, it was really, it was really exciting. And then um, when I found out when it was going to air, I had a viewing party um, oh. in, in town with, at my friend's restaurant, we had the whole restaurant and my family were there, friends, you know, business associates from town. And it was, it was an amazing experience. It was one of those moments that like, whenever you're having a bad day for the rest of your life, mm -hmm. you just think back to that moment and you immediately feel better about yourself and happier. Cause it was, it was one of those moments that just stands out in your life as this incredible feeling that's so amazing and so awesome to hear i've always kind of like pictured myself like oh my god that must be like the craziest feeling there and another question i guess it's like for you like when you're on this type of show and you know it has such a big viewership how did you were you were you allowed to say that you won i guess your friends knew but did you know the impact it would have on your business and maybe your own personal life after the, the that episode aired you, you're not allowed to say that you won. You're not allowed to tell anyone that you were even on until you mm. get the air date. Because um, even though you film a show, there's always a chance that it's not going to air. And so you can't even tell anyone that you were on until you get that air date. And then once you get the air date, you can't tell anyone that you won. So yeah, it was, it was a delicate balance between because I filmed that show in October. And then I didn't find out it was going to air until January. And then I didn't find out the air date until the end of January. So there was that period between October and January um, that that was like, if, if only I could tell people, then business would do so much better right now. <laughs> like, I mean, business was okay, but there were lulls. And it was like, if only I could tell people that would get people really excited and I, and I had to keep it secret. So it was really difficult. And I didn't even, I don't think I told my family that I won. Yeah. Uh, I might, I think I might've told my parents, but I didn't tell like anyone else. I didn't tell, I was really afraid that 
um, you know, if I told a friend or whatever that they would tell someone. Mm. So I, I kept it pretty locked down. Yeah. Cause it's like, it's like, if you tell a friend, they might tell them, then you don't want to get disqualified or the network to essentially call you and be like, you're not winning anymore. Right. Um, right. Or sued. You have to yeah. sign a contract that oh, okay. says that they can sue you if you. Oh my God. So. Are you able to sort of maybe like quantify how much your business grew like after the airing date? And, and another question is after the air date, were you prepared? Did you know like, hey, tomorrow I know it's going to be so crazy at my bakery? I knew it was going to be crazy. I did not know how crazy it was going to be. Um, were we prepared? No, I think we sold out in like an hour. Oh my God. Uh, we, yeah. We, we, I thought we were prepared. Like we were as prepared as I thought that we could be, but we were definitely not prepared to meet the demand. It was insanity. It was complete insanity. Wow. That's just like a, it must be like a crazy feeling because, you know, like I said before, kind of struggling a little bit, just getting along. And then <laughs> in one day, just business pretty much changes. And I'm guessing for you, like, how did that, uh, as an entrepreneur, like, you kind of experienced this huge growth all of a sudden. How did you grow as, like, an entrepreneur, as an owner? Um, and, you know, how was that, how did you sort of get mentorship on saying, like, hey, this is what I need to do now because my normality has sort of now just jumped, just completely changed? There's definitely a steep learning curve. Yeah. Um, and you learn a lot about yourself through something like that business grew but at the same time you're trying to manage the expectations of your mm. customers because their expectations grow as well they're like we see, saw you on tv so you know everything this must be the most amazing thing that i've ever eaten in my entire life and i want it right now and i don't want to wait for it and i don't want to pay a lot for it and and so people have these intense expectations and you're trying to keep everyone happy uh, so it's not it's not all roses mm -hmm. it definitely is not something i would ever change for the world i think the, the positives outweigh the negatives but there is there is a lot of adapting to be done and um definitely I definitely learned a lot about myself through the process and what, you know, what I wanted and what I didn't want. And it's also, I think you learn a lot about how you deal with publicity and, and your public image, because honestly, it became difficult for me, not so much after Cupcake Wars, but I think more so um, after... Cupcake Wars and then the book deals and then Shark Tank and all of it added up. And once I launched my product line uh, nationally and into stores, it became a little difficult to align my true personality and to be authentic and be yourself mm -hmm. with managing the personality of the brand. And if, you're, if your personality isn't exactly the personality of your brand, of your company, like trying to align those two and, and mesh them together and still be authentic, um, but still represent your brand, it, it, becomes, it becomes a little tricky. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, there's like all this additional pressure and stress and the perception of people and your brand sort of uh, may not be kind of how you are. And it's sort of like, you don't, maybe internally you're kind of, you might be like, hey, this is what people want me to be, but I don't want to be like that. And so it's 
a lot of pressure, especially, yeah, like, like I guess other people don't know, you were also on Shark Tank. So it's two very big network shows and, you know, you've had success on both. And when you were, can you talk a little bit about Shark Tank and sort of, so Shark Tank was after you kind of left the bakery. Did you sell the bakery or how was that like? Did you say like, I just don't want to do it. Did you shut it down or is it still running today? Um, no, I was gonna sell it, but I had gotten a book deal with a publisher at the time and they wanted to use the name, the brand name of the bakery and they wanted to use the recipes. And at that point I was like, I either take this book deal, which is amazing. I, you know, to become a published author and get a deal with a publisher, which is so difficult to do, or I try to sell the business, but I can't really do both because um, if I, if I keep the brand name and the recipes, I don't, I don't really have anything left to sell, right? I have equipment and I'm renting my location. So there's not really anything else to, to sell someone. I can't sell them the bakery. So I decided to just shut down the bakery and keep the, the brand name and the recipes and move forward with that. And then, so what you started the book, so basically when you sold the company and then moved forward with the book deal, how long until did you? Until how long was it until then you started your second company, which is Dollop Gourmet? Um. So so Dollop the bakery was still named Dollop Gourmet. Yeah. So I I kept the brand name and everything. Mm-hmm. I closed the bakery at the end of 2012, and then the book came out in 2013, and then I didn't launch the frosting line until the end of 2014. So there was a bit of a gap there that I had to kind of keep keep things going, keep the brand going, um, but I wasn't actually selling anything. Mm, okay, so you kind of just, it was there maybe promoting your book or something right. like that. Okay, right. so you kind of knew what happened from your experience with Cupcake Wars. What made you, I guess, going back on your personality, what made you then say, hey, I also want to do something like Shark Tank? Because, you know, you knew that potential of maybe the publicity that could happen again after being on a, company, on a, on a show like Shark Tank. Or was it Shark Tank not as big as it was, it was now? Um, no, Shark Tank was big. And I, I mean, I love free publicity. I think, that yeah. his, I think that it is the thing that can really set a business on fire. Also, it's just fun, right? Like it's, I mean, part of life is having fun, right? And how much fun is it to get on uh, these shows and, and that you don't have to pay anything for and it can you know, help your business. It's, they're, they're fun experiences. So I knew that I wanted to try to get on Shark Tank, um, especially after being on Cupcake Wars. I knew what it could do for my business. I knew that it would be amazing exposure. And I believed that I could get on, so. How, what was the process like of getting on Shark Tank? Did you have to apply or uh, did you, were you able to maybe leverage some of your previous exposure to get on there easier? Uh, I mean, I definitely think my previous exposure helped for certain. Um, and I think it helped me throughout the whole process just with my expectations. Uh, cause I, I, you know, I had prior experiences with, you know, big network TV and I, and so I had, I think I had different expectations than some people do. Uh, but the process is still, it's a very lengthy process. It's, it, it was almost a year long process of applying and, paperwork and auditions and uh, Skype calls and submitting documents and 
there, there is, it was a long process and at any stage in the process you can get cut and you have no idea um, when or if that could happen. And then at this time, were, were you still living in upstate New York? Yeah, I was okay. still living in upstate New York, yeah. Okay. And then where, where did they shoot the air? Where did they show the air? Um, I guess record it. Is it California? Yes, it's in LA. Okay, okay LA. Okay, perfect. So I guess talk to you. So yeah, you were, you, so you were in Shark Tank, but can you talk to, to us a little bit about maybe the process of making your frosting and sort of what, what that was like? You know, how did you figure out what flavors to use, what ingredients to use, what manufacturing company to use? Because that was something new, I guess, newer for you. I thought to myself, how hard could this be? I'm making frosting all day long in the bakery. Like, how hard can this be? And it wound up being really, really difficult. Um, it was really difficult to get the formulations right because it's a, it's a mass scale. It's not like making it in a bakery. Um, I knew I wanted it to be vegan and the frosting we were making in the bakery was not vegan. So I had to change ingredients. And then finding a co-packer was really, really mm. difficult. It took me, uh, it took me over a year to to find someone that was willing to give it a shot. Uh, so that that was the most stressful part. Is I couldn't find anyone who would make it, and there were a couple of times like I thought it really wasn't going to happen because I could not find anyone to make it, um, and I just kept you know, pounding the pavement and finally got someone to give it a shot. Uh, a manufacturer who had actually never made frosting before. <laughs> Uh, but I, w I was able to talk them into trying it and they, they were able to do it. And I remember when I got the call that they said they did the test run and it worked and that we were going to move forward. And it was, I was, I, I was in Florida. I was in my mom's car in the back seat, and I was like so ecstatic because I was like, this is finally going to happen. Yeah. Like your, your new project essentially is going to come to life. Um, right. What was the process? I guess you explain to people maybe, uh, what a co-packer is and then sort of what the process was of finding somebody like that or a manufacturing. Yeah, a co-packer or also called a co-manufacturer. It's, it's so that you're not building out your own facility and doing your own manufacturing. So it's a manufacturing facility that uh, they, you contract them and they do the manufacturing for you. And they do the manufacturing for a host of different brands. Um, and usually, usually there'll be contract manufacturers that they'll specialize in a certain area. So whether it be sauce and they make sauce for a bunch of different brands or salsa or cereal or whatever they have, they have the right equipment to make what you need and they can do it at a higher volume and a larger scale. Yeah. So yeah, basically for anybody listening, yeah, if you ever like in this sort of like food industry, you definitely need a co-packer um, at a certain level because they have the quality of the machines and they just have the capacity that you might need if you're selling hundreds of units a month. Uh, whereas right. like you don't want to be doing it in your, your own kitchen, essentially. Right. Unless you, unless you want to build out your own facility yeah. that just comes with, you have to buy the equipment, you have to get approved, the, you know, HACCP, you have to, there's just so many... Yeah, and like co-packers oh. have all the licenses and they right. eventually they also know how to pack things properly. So you're kind of just shortcutting a lot of that. Right, you hire the employees and yeah. yeah. Okay, perfect. Um, so can you talk to, uh, I guess us, you know, on Shark Tank, I mean, I saw that you get to deal with Barbara Corcoran. Can you talk to a little bit about life after Shark Tank, how that was for you uh, personally, you know, how would that feel after that? 
Yeah, uh, I mean, it definitely, Shark Tank was huge for business. We had, I w had already gotten the product into uh, a couple grocery chains. So we were already selling in grocery chains, um, a couple of the larger grocery chains, but we weren't selling online at all. Mm -hmm. So I knew that after I got the call that I was gonna, um, my Shark Tank episode was gonna air that, I needed to build out an e-commerce site. So the e-commerce site actually went live about one week prior to our air date. Oh, wow. so, um, so the orders that came in from Shark Tank, that was our first time doing e-commerce. Oh my gosh. It, it, was, it was another insane experience because um, we just were not fully prepared. I thought we were prepared, but we were we were, I decided that we would um, package and ship everything ourselves, which we had never done before. And so I, I talked to one of my friends who had a warehouse, um, who he sold t-shirts and he had a warehouse, a big warehouse. And so he let us use this back corner of his warehouse to, um, to, to work out of. So I had pallets of products shipped to their warehouse and um, it was myself and my parents who are divorced. So it was myself and my parents in the back of this warehouse, just day after day, packing, packing orders from Shark Tank. And uh, it How took- How many orders from Shark Tank did you receive? Uh, we, I, it was around a thousand, I think. But the kicker is, so we're, we're in the warehouse, we're almost done. We're nearing the end of the Shark Tank orders. We're getting excited because this has been weeks. It's like eight hour days, weeks, just standing there packing orders. And then all of a sudden my phone starts dinging like crazy. And I'm wondering what's going on. I'm getting all these notifications. And this interview I did for Forbes, um, like the prior week, it went live and it started getting all this traction and it hit the front page of Yahoo. Oh my God. And it got over half a million views and we got in another thousand orders. It was insane because we were definitely not prepared for that. Um, we, we did not have the product. We didn't, we didn't have anything. So we basically were starting over again uh, from scratch, trying to pack it, get in the product for those thousand orders and pack everything up and ship it out. So it was crazy. Sam, so like in basically good one or two days, you almost made 20,000 in revenue from just being on the show. Uh, we did close to, with both of those things, we, yeah, we did close to a hundred thousand. Oh, revenue. wow. Jesus yeah. Christ. That's a lot. So maybe it wasn't a thousand. I don't remember yeah, how many. Probably orders. like we did close to a hundred thousand in revenue. Than that there were a lot of orders. It felt like it was never ending. Jesus, that's so crazy. That's that's yeah. The power of Shark Tank is so incredible, incredible. And and I'm I'm I'm, I'm assuming that whenever the show reairs, you probably get a bunch more orders as well. We I mean nowhere near that. Uh, yeah. We definitely get a bump and you know emails and orders. Uh, and it airs about every month and a half on CNBC. Um, seems to be so it's definitely a bonus it's nowhere near that mate that you know first, no, but first it's, one it's a, it's a bonus yeah yeah okay perfect so yeah going on that so how do you guys kind of run your e-commerce store i'm assuming you're using something like shopify it's super easy to have an online right. store. yes we're not doing it like that anymore <laughs> um that was a one-time deal 
We're, we're using Shopify and a fulfillment center. Okay. And then basically the orders come in, they go to your fulfillment center, and then they ship it out to your customers. Correct. Yeah, perfect. That's good. And then sort of for your, for, the, for your products, how often do you sort of make new products or are you kind of just iterating on some of the existing ones that are best sellers? Um, how do you think about product development for, I guess, your store? Uh, so we've, we've developed five flavors in total and we usually, we have four right now. So we usually will, will retire one and introduce mm -hmm. a new one. So we just introduced a new one um, a couple months ago, a cream cheese cashmere. Uh, so we kind of go based off what people are asking for and just um, what's, what's going on. We retired our peanut butter flavor, which was really popular, but our, um, our manufacturing facility wanted to become nut free. Mm, so, okay. we, so we had to retire that one and we developed the new flavor to replace it. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So yeah, like sometimes, you know, you have to make decisions based on you know, maybe the co-packer or, or, or any other company. Sometimes you want to keep a flavor or you want to keep a product, but they can't manufacture. Or like you say, sometimes the um, other companies have tools run out or you know, supplies just aren't there anymore. Right. Um, or sometimes, you know, I mean, ingredients of one, you know, flavor could skyrocket and yeah. you're like, okay, this is not going to work anymore and you need to replace it with something else. Right. And then for something like, uh, I guess, some of your business, do you still do a lot of, I guess, you know, all PR marketing for your company or do you do, do you advertise at all? Or is it mostly like B2B and a little bit, D, uh, sorry, B2C? I'm a firm believer in free PR. Mm -hmm. We haven't really done um, traditional advertising or paid ads. We try to do use, you know, free PR when we can. We do a lot of social media. We do a lot of um, collaborations with other complementary companies uh, that have, whether it's, you know, protein cake mix or, you know, vegan chocolate or um, something that is complementary to our product. We do, we like doing a lot of co uh, collaborations with other brands. I guess I just have you know, just two more questions for you. I guess what's like the best advice you would give to a new entrepreneur starting out, out you know, Maybe do you have any book suggestions for them? Sort of, you know, what advice do you give them? Advice I would give them is, first of all, to remain authentic and be true to who they are. Because um, there have been times that I, and I mentioned before, I've um, had a hard time doing that, especially when you get the publicity. Mm -hmm. But the times that, when I can look back and see that the times that I have stayed authentic and just myself even like publicly too like on social media those are the times that uh business actually does better so to remain authentic be who you are even if you're getting public attention uh the other thing is to really know your story and what makes you unique and what makes your product unique what makes it different what you can offer to um, consumers, right? Because a lot of these days, especially if you're trying to get free PR, these days, a lot of people are, are more sensitive to being sold to. Mm -hmm. So it's more about storytelling and um, what, what you can offer. And that also translates to getting on TV and getting in the news. You know, it's not 
it's not a business advertisement. It's what can you offer to the viewers or the, the listeners. Um, and, and to always keep that in mind when you're, you know, when you're starting out. Yep. Yeah, that's good advice. Yeah. So, and then last question is sort of where can we go to, where can viewers go to learn more about you or to learn more about your brand? To learn more about my brand, you can go to dollopgourmet.com. And for me, uh, you can go to either heathersaffer.com or I just started this. I've talked a lot about free PR because I really believe in it and it's what has launched and sustained my business. Um, I started this, created this ebook very recently, like last week, and with a lot of bonus materials. And you can go to freeprhacker.com. It's about PR hacking. And there's a freebie there. I made a video tutorial step-by-step of how to find the email address of any store buyer or influencer or magazine editor or TV producer. Cause that was one of my biggest struggles was how do I even reach these people? And once I figured out uh, a system, I created this video tutorial. So you can get that for free at freeprhacker.com. Okay, thank you Heather. And I see that you're using uh, ClickFunnels for that. So yes. it's a, yeah, ClickFunnels is a great platform. Um, it is. It's so good. It's a lot of good upsells and downsells. Um, so yeah, everybody, that's Heather Safer, uh, freeprhacker.com. And I think one lesson that we can take from this interview is, you know, be true to yourself, be authentic, tell your story, and don't let outside business circumstances change you because, you know, you might not be happy or you might not be where you're at, even though outside looking in, everybody might think that you are. So be true to yourself, be authentic, and thank you, Heather, for this interview. Thank you, Kevin. Appreciate it. Thank you. This week's episode of Digital Marketing Fastlane was brought to you by the performance marketing experts at Voy Media. Join us again next time as we'll be bringing you more tips, techniques, and know-how to make your online business the very best that it can be. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, we'd love to hear them on Twitter at Voy Media. Thank you.